That's right, that rock and roll sound tells you one thing and one thing only. It is time for Brooklyn Paper Radio recording live from the Brooklyn Paper Building in downtown Brooklyn, America's downtown. I'm, of course, Gersh Kunstman, columnist with the New York Daily News, and I am flanked over here by Vince DiMaselli, a legend and editor of the Brooklyn Paper, who was, hey, te- he was telling me in the green room before that when he was a kid, he would get punished by his teachers in high school for reading the paper in class. Reading the newspaper in class. You were not al- allowed to read the newspaper in class. Nowadays, you should be encouraged for doing that. No, everyone should be reading newspapers pretty much at all times. The print product. The print product is where it's at because it delivers the news in a way that that, that is unique. It's a very unique way of delivering Well, it's not very news. unique. It is unique. It I mean, is unique. By definition. Anyway, it's Brooklyn Paper Radio, and we want to start the show by thanking our sponsors, who are going to be joining us later, Joseph Lichter DDS, yep. Atlas Daycast, and dun-da-da-dun-dun-dun. You got some music? That was it. Dun-da-da-dun-dun-dun. Oh, that was good. I like that. Our oh. new sponsor, Village Care Max, and you're going to be hearing, it's, his name's not Max, it's Village Care Max, yeah. and we're going to be hearing from all of our sponsors a little later. But I have to start the show the way I always do, Vince. Yeah, what's You're that? a handsome man. Yes, I am. What have you been up to? Well, did I ever tell you that story about the squirrel? No, you never did. The worst thing I no, ever saw in my squirrel? life. which squirrel? The, 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 the black squirrel or the white squirrel? No, I did. I once, there was a white squirrel once in, in Prospect Park. Yeah. Big story about that. We did, we wrote about that. But when, when I was a little kid, I'm walking home from school, and the squirrel's trying to do one of those acrobatic things. I don't know how they do it. Where he's trying to, like, he was trying to transfer from a tree branch to a uh, a wire, you know, like a telephone oh, a wire. dangerous move. No, it was a, it was a tough move. And as he was doing the transfer... Don't he, say it. Don't say it. He falls. No, it, it happened. It fell. And it fell and it landed. I'm walking home from school. It's like a little kid, third grade. Because back then, you just walked home from school. Oh, I'm, a, I'm in third grade? How old am I? Like it nine? A, it was 1980. I'm eight years old. Yeah, I'm walking home from school. And I'm looking at the squirrel. I'm like, he's not going to make it. He's not going to make it. So he falls. He hits the ground. Literally hits the ground. Hits the ground. And then a, a sanitation truck was coming down the street. Wow. And Literally hit by a garbage the truck. The second that he hit the ground, he was run over, and his head, it, it exploded. It like did, this, like this, Gershon. Didn't even have a chance is what you're saying. Didn't have a chance. And, and why are you telling me this story? Because I, I, I had a dream about it last night. No, to me, it's a story about how, and, and Johnny will attest to this, that uh, you know, this is something that doesn't go away. It stays with you no, your whole life. Because that's because human life, or in this case, animal life, is, is we're just hanging on a thread. Yeah. We're hanging on you know, a thread. bees are on the endangered species no, list? No, six species of bees are now on the endangered species list. But in Brooklyn, they are thriving. Yeah, but you remember what Jefferson said. What did he say about bees? He said, ask Franklin about bees. And then I went and asked Franklin. You know what Franklin said about bees? Mm-hmm. If bees go extinct. Was it Franklin? It was Franklin, Jefferson, or Einstein. I can't remember. One of those two. If bees go extinct, the human race will follow in three months. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard yeah, that. but this is a pretty scary thing. Do you know what Einstein's name would be if he was a DJ? I don't know. What would his name be? MC Squared. Uh, that's a good one. You got a little applause there? Thanks. We'll add that in. Good job, Anyway, <laughs> Nice job, Jimmy. Well, anyway, great story about the squirrel. I got a story for you. What do you got? I'm a Brooklyn guy. Uh-huh. Unlike you, Vince, you live on the rock, Staten Island. Born and, born and raised. So last week, uh, or maybe it was two weeks ago on the show, we talked about the Brooklyn poor, which was that craft beer festival at the Brooklyn Expo Center in Greenpoint. Well, I went... Mm-hmm. I went, Johnny. Yeah. And I, you know, remember we on the show, we did a preview. We talked to the guy from Six Point, Marcus Luter, Six music. Point Brewery. J- Jimmy, we got, any, we got any drinking music? Yeah, a little drinking music. I got some drinks. It feels like some drinks coming on. Well, here. he'll get some drinking music. Anyway, Marcus Luter was on the show mm-hmm. talking to us about his Six Point Jammer. Now, you know the Jammer. It's a Goza-style beer with salt and freaking coriander. Wow. 
So if you remember the show, Vince, I said, that's just disgusting. And Marcus said, no, no, it's not disgusting. And I said, you care to put your beer where my mouth is? Yeah. Well, he did it. He did. So I'm going to open up a can of the jammer right now on the uh, on the air. I got, got the, the, I got the package in the mail. I don't... Well, Johnny, you got this. i got to just get the sound effect. Is this drinking it. music? Is this what this is? Oh, there it is. Okay. So this is the jammer. Gosh, it's getting hot in here. That's just me, Vince. <laughs> All right. So this is the jammer. Marcus Luter at Six Point said, it's great for summer. It's still hot out there. So I'm going to take a sip. I think I'm going to take my shirt off. All right, you take a sip. So it's it's sour, salty, and a little herby. You take what a am sip. I looking for here? This sounds like I'm tasting like an iced tea. Yeah, it's a little bit iced tea. Taste it. So I told him, put your beer where my mouth is, and then Vince is going to put his mouth where my mouth was. Yeah. How's that taste? <laughs> I'm glad the music just abruptly cut off. Yeah, How's no, that taste? I, I'm, I'm sorry to say I don't like it. It doesn't taste like beer. No. It's like a, it's like a savory lemonade is how I would describe it. I wouldn't even go that far. It's not sweet. I said a savory lemonade. I know, but a lemonade by definition would be sweet. But that's why I said a savory lemonade. What's the difference between sweet and savory? <laughs> Can you run that in an infinite loop for the rest of this show? What is the difference between sweet and savory? Explain it to me. What is the difference Explain between black and white? Explain it to me and our and our listeners. So sweet is um I know what sweet uh, is. Oh you do? Okay. I just need savory. Savory is the opposite of sweet. The literally the opposite. No, I thought like tart was the opposite of sweet. Tart is an opposite of sweet. It's an opposite. How, how can savory, you have more than one opposite? Savory is often misused to mean delectable, but uh -huh. in fact, savory means salty. Really? Yeah, or or of of right. you know Look, not sweet. Nothing against so the there, guys. Have another sip. Nothing against the guys at Six Point. All right. It's, this is called a a poop sandwich. Not, I love the guys at Six Point. Yeah. Don't like the jammer. Okay. Well, but the, the guys at Six Point are great. That's the sandwich. The, well, that was the bread. The good news is Marcus was smart enough to know I probably wasn't going to like the jammer. So he sent over some crisp. Jimmy, can I get some more drinking music? Here we go. I'm opening up a crisp. Now that's drinking music mm. here. Now try the crisp, because the crisp is my favorite six-point beer. Because mm. it's like what Budweiser should be. It's crisp. It's a light lager. It's not too... It's a, got a little hop. You don't like it? I'll drink it. Well, how much alcohol is in this? He doesn't like it. Talk to it. Talk about it while I look this up. No. I, you know, I don't know what it, what's happened to me when it come, when it's come to beer. So this is just 5.4 alcohol by volume, and I could drink this all freaking day. Really? Mm-hmm. I don't know what's happened to me when it comes. When I was a kid, or you didn't a, drink beer. When I was a youngster, okay, uh, a younger man, and we would have. I was a, I was one of the first guys to uh, to start drinking the uh, the Sam Adams when that came out. I think we talked about. But that you were one of the first guys. I was like I, in my group of friends growing up, like I would. Oh, you got to try the Sam Adams; it's pretty good. And they were like, "That's disgusting." I'm not gonna, and I loved it. And now it's like I can't even drink a Sam Adams, and frankly, I can't drink one of these. But the other night, I'm at a bar and they had three dollar Bud Lights, and I enjoyed those three dollar oh, Bud look, Lights. What's going on, Gersh? Well, three dollar. First of all, the minute you put three dollar price tag on a beer, it's a good beer, right? Well, three dollars for a, and that was a pint. A pint, a, a pint of Bud Light on a hot summer night with a burger. Nothing better. Yeah. Well, I was. Although the crisp is coming very close. No, I don't like the jammer. The and jammer sucks, but the crisp is great. Anyway, we got to get out. Crisp. So, Marcus Luter, if you can hear the sound of my voice, Six Point Brewery, you guys are a bunch of menches. You're fantastic people. The jammer, not so good. The crisp, my beer of the year. I love it. So, let's really? play beer us out the there, Johnny. Play us out. It's my beer of the year. All right, we're going to play us out. <laughs> I'll keep drinking it. All right, thank you. We got to get out. So, a lot of people say, I start the show by saying, Vinny. What have you been up to? And you always give me a story. That today was a gruesome story about a squirrel, which yeah. seemed weird. I'm going to tell you what I was up to. Go. This week has been my biggest week at the Daily News. You want to know why? 
you wrote a story about something that people wanted to read. That, that, and that is my goal. Well, oddly enough, it was the Kardashian theft, which nobody believes is true out in Paris. No. I had 400,000 page views this on that story like, alone. This is like Brazil all over again, right? It's, it's, the, it's the celebrity version of Ryan Lochte. There you go. Even right down to the fact that she left Paris before she even looked at her photos in a lineup now, or anything. What did Paris Hilton have to do with this? <laughs> Actually, Paris Hilton once employed Kim Kardashian. I, I know all of this stuff because now they turned me into a celebrity writer. I'm a Brooklyn guy. So the story of the week that I really wanted to talk about, not uh -huh. the Kardashians, which is clickbait, baby. And I, and I know clickbait. Yeah. I know clickbait. What's the Carnegie story? Deli story. Now, you're going to say, ah, it's over there in Manhattan. It's past its prime. It's in Midtown, for God's sakes. And all of that's true. Yeah. But I went. because We I, ate there with Robo once, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we did. Joe Robo, great man of the New York Post, it took us out there once. But that, it, I've been there a million times. The adjectives will get you in trouble mm -hmm. every time. Now, Joe Robo's comment at the Carnegie Deli, if I'm not mistaken. And he was a, he's a Jewish guy with a Texas accent. His comment at the Carnegie Deli was, I did not think it could be done, but this is a great sandwich. Because he thought, eh, it's a tourist trap. And I always thought it was a tourist trap, but I've been a million times. Mm -hmm. But then the Carnegie Deli announced it's going to close. Yeah, everybody's upset. I, well, hold on. Well, it was closed and then it reopened. Yeah, it was closed. Because I think we went with Robo right when it had reopened after it, it had closed. It had closed for a gas line issue. Listen. Yeah. Vince, stick with me for a second. Right, it's going to close for good on the twenty on the 31st of December after 79 years. Now, a lot of the people were doing their breathless tributes to Carl. Oh, how could it's, – oh, it's, it's a fat worse than death and whatever, the whole bit. You see how I did that? Fate worse than death, I but it's a fat, fat worse than – fat, yeah. Excuse me, I'm burping from the crisp. No, I'm drinking the jammer. But what happened was I said, you know what? Let's not just – let's not put something on a pedestal. Let's not put a, a corned beef sandwich on a pedestal. Until we go and try it. So what did I do? What did you do, Gersh? Yesterday. Went up to the Carnegie Deli. Had a sandwich. At the Carnegie Deli. Nine, oh, $19 sandwich. Where's the Carnegie Deli located? It's in on the? 7th Avenue at 57th Street. Uh-huh. Had the sandwich. Jimmy, can you play some pastrami music? Because i got to tell you something. A lot of people around me were tourists. And they would have literally eaten corned beef with excrement on a plate. They don't care. They don't know. Mm -hmm. But I know. Because I've been to Katzi's, and I've been to the Mill Basin Deli. Yep, we've been there. You know Mill Basin. Of course. But By the way, Mark from Mill Basin, if you're, if you're listening to the sound of my voice, you should send us some corned beef because it's great corned beef. I had the Carne Carnegie Deli sandwich, and I got to say, above average. Above average. Okay. So I say, let it stay open. So there's a guy in the Upper East Side who wants to buy it. You're looking at a picture of him right now, a guy named Sam Musevich. He's a former dishwasher. At the Carnegie Deli, I spoke to him at length. He's raising $5 million, and the owner of the Carnegie Deli won't even listen to him, won't take his call. Why won't, Why do they want to close? She, why won't to, they? she claims she wants to retire. Yeah, no, but if he's going to run the place, she doesn't have anything to do with it. What, what does no, that have to? there's a million dollars in that name, Carnegie Deli. They're selling pastrami all over the country with that name. So they're still going to do that, but they're going to close the actual deli. Yeah, it'd be like if Juniors closed the flagship on Flatbush Avenue Extension uh -huh. but still wanted to sell cheesecake with a licensing deal. They can do that. Of course they can. But what if a guy wanted to come in and say, well, I'll still run your flagship, and I'll even cut you in on the profit? It seems like a good deal. Well, Do they own the building? 
they own the building. Well, that's what's happening. This yeah. is what happens in Brooklyn all the time. And I know this is happening in Manhattan, but in Brooklyn, this is what happens. This is these people that own the buildings where they have a store, yeah. whether it be a hardware store or a candy shop or whatever it might be. Or even an auto mechanic. Auto mechanic. They, they've owned the building since the 1960s or 50s. They've had the store there that whole time. And now all of a sudden the building is worth so much or even the rent in the building is worth yeah, so that's much. that's what it is. That they can just walk away and either they'll sell the building or they'll just rent it out and they'll live off the rent. They're like, why am I killing myself? And that's what's happened in New York. And unfortunately, that's because New York is so awesome. Well, New York is awesome. And, and, Brooklyn. and what have I always said about gentrification? Well, you're a big fan. Well, you can't stop it. You can't stop it. Because no. the minute that massage parlor or that mechanic or whoever makes the neighborhood better, better, quote unquote better, quote more unquote. attractive to visitors and yeah. to tourists and to residents, suddenly the rents go up. And then that guy who made the neighborhood better, he either has to make a choice. Leave, sell out, change his mix, whatever, because yeah, then he prices himself out. And that's gentrification, baby. We got a little gentrification music. Play that, Jimmy. We have a section in the Brooklyn paper called Go There Now While You Still Can. Yeah. Go There Now While You Still Can. Best example of that in Brooklyn is Defara went there the other day, and the old man Dom, Dom, if you can hear the sound of my voice, take it easy. What's he doing he, over there? Well, first of all, he still works six days a week. Oh, well, yeah. Making pizzas like from sun up to sundown. How, how old is Dom now? No, Dom's in his eighties. And then Defaris the one place I've never been to. We are going to Defaris. We gotta do that. If you can hear the sound of my voice. It's like a five dollar slice? Well, the slice is expensive. You get the pie. Anyway, we gotta get out. Carnegie Deli, hopefully you'll have a long now, run. Now there's eight slices in a pie and yeah. it's a five dollar slice. Do they charge you um, I'm not gonna do the math here, but forty dollars for a sli- for a pie? No, you get a discount. There is a discount. There's a discount, yeah. Mm, okay. All right, we gotta get out. Let's read good, a couple of ads know. because we gotta pay some bills before we get to the big part of the show. Big. Oh, okay. Go ahead a little music. Guys, I gotta tell you something. I had believe it or not, I had a toothache this week. Really? And where did I go? had to go to Dr. Uh, Joseph Lichter. Well, in this case, I just sedated it with a little bourbon, but, because I'm so cheap, but nobody's cheaper than Dr. Joseph Lichter. You, got- you are cheap and so is your <laughs> bourbon. <laughs> I don't use the expensive stuff for a toothache, no, okay? No, anyway, Dr. Lichter's state-of-the-art office has the most up-to-date technology, but the most important thing are the prices. Well, the most important thing are the medical care, but second is the prices. So, let me give you an example. Invisalign, some people are charging, that, those are those braces. On the inside of your teeth, people charge $5,000 for that. Lictor charges $4,000. You do cleanings, you do root canals, you do all this stuff. It's a fraction and usually a 20% off what those fancy Brooklyn Heights dentists charge. So anyway, you call Lictor's office, 718-339-7878. You set up an appointment. He's out there in Midwood. Or you can visit him online at Joseph Lictor. Now, the Lictor is L-I-C-H-T-E-R. DDS a dot com. Yeah, you gotta love it. And then once your teeth are all set and ready, you're gonna head on over to Atlas Steakhouse. Beautiful dip in the spark. Atlas Steakhouse. Here's what's on the menu. I'm just gonna throw it out there. Filet mignon. Love the filet. Medallion steak prime. Yeah, I like that. A little skirt steak. Oh, the skirt steak's my favorite. How much did I get for that skirt steak? The skirt steak? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go through the prices now, Kirk. Is there really a reason to? It's a it's a matter of public record, Vince. It is. Alright, well the skirt steak is uh is that what we're talking about? Skirt? Yeah. yeah. It's like 30 bucks. Yeah, but that's a huge hunk. I had no, that skirt stick delicious. when I was It's yeah. like the whole diaphragm. You get the ribeye bone in? Prime. I don't like a bone in rhyme. You like that? Mm. How about the tomahawk steak? Mm. That's a T bone, basically. Big T bone. It's a big T bone. Yeah. It comes way out to the edge there. Yeah, they, all they do is they, the they, they they strip the, the bone out. So it's very dramatic, but it it's is really a, it's a big T bone. It's a drastic, but it's for two. Yeah, much. So you get, that, you get that town, that uh, tomahawk steak that's 87 bucks, but it's for two people. And, and possibly three if you bring a little kid. You're bringing a kid. You got a T-Bone Prime. You got your New York Strip. You got your veal chop. 
I never even thought of that. Yeah, no, the veal chop is there. The lamb chop is there. The cider marinated short rib. Listen, I could go on and on. Atlas Steakhouse. It's delicious. It's nutritious. It's Atlas. You can visit them at 943 Coney Island Avenue. That's near 18th Avenue in beautiful Ditmas Park. And they're always online. Always, always online at atlassteak.com. All right, well, it's time to welcome our new sponsor, oh. Village Care Max. Let's talk about what's possible when healthcare gets personal. And I'm talking about Village Care Max. A Medicaid-managed long-term plan helps you stay, continue to stay at home and in your community for as long as possible. Because you don't want to... Vince, go. when you get old, you want to leave your community? You want to leave your home? No, the whole no. idea is you get Village Care Max I to had help this you whole, stay home. I had this whole conversation with my son last night. I'll tell you about it when you're done. You get a team of healthcare professionals. They'll work with your doctor, helping you to obtain the best healthcare options available to you. Uh, don't listen to me. Get more information about Village Care Max by calling 800-469-6292, or you can go to the website villagecaremax.org, not .com, villagecaremax.org. Live the life you want to live. What you gotta do? All right. We did it. So, Village Care so, Max, welcome to Brooklyn Paper Radio. Yeah, it's, good. it's great to have And all you old geezers, welcome. Welcome. Every, every one of you. So last night, I'm having a conversation with my kid. How old is your kid? He's nine now. Good boy. Right? But I'm just I'm just talking to him, and somehow Darkness on the Edge of Town comes. I think we were just listening to it. Lights out tonight. No, that's, no, the actual song, Darkness on the Edge of Town. There's a darkness right, on the Right, there's a darkness on the Edge of Town. So he's like, Dad, what is the darkness? I don't understand. What is this song about? He left his wife. Yep. He left his job. He, he did, That doesn't mean anything to me now. And he's like, so nine years old. Now he's probing. He wants to know what it's about. Because well, he thinks you're going to leave your wife. Well, no. He says to me. What could the darkness on the edge of town be? So I said to him, well, what's town? What is the town? What does a town represent in this song? And heart he was and soul, like, baby. Heart well, and soul. He's like, well, a town is where you live. It's, what do you, I said, and what, what do you, well, what do you know about the town? Like, what do you know about You know everything about where you live. The town is your comfort zone. It's mm, where you're from. Mm. Now, the darkness on the edge of town, what's out there? You, you don't, don't know. know. You, you don't, don't know, know until you, know. you go. So once you get out there. You find out what the darkness on the edge of town is. So the darkness on the edge of town is the unknown. But is Springsteen saying we shouldn't probe the unknown? We should stay in our comfort zone? No, he goes out to the darkness on the edge of town. That's the, the whole point of the song is he's leaving his comfort zone to go out into the darkness and see what he can what find. What happens to him he's, out there? Well, we, I guess uh, he, he marries... Uh, one of his singers in the in the <laughs> band, and uh, he marries Patty Schiaffla. Yeah, and then you get a dirty job done. You get a dirty job done. Wow, that's great. That's I think that's what happened. Wow, darkness on. I didn't. I didn't think. I thought it was a different song. Well, I thought it was a different song. No. I thought the darkness on the edge of town was encroaching on the town, uh-huh. and and they were worried about that. Well, everyone can have their own interpretation of the song. And I mean, everyone's got a hungry heart. So I explained to my son that that's also the case, and then I said to him, "So what do you think the darkness on the edge of town is?" And he said. The unknown. He didn't say it was the promised land? No, he said the unknown. Well, I think your son is born to run. (sighs) All right, guys. We we got to get out. Listen, I got to tell you something, Johnny. We have got to hear a little of that morning papers music because I am ready to talk news. All right, the best thing for working for a radio show that is connected to a print newspaper is there's breaking news in Brooklyn. All the time. And I know who to call. Who are you going to call? First one I'm going to call is Lauren Gill, who's a Brooklyn Paper Radio listeners know. She is a legendary reporter. So, 
that new Ghostbusters movie kind of tanked, huh? Oh, stunk. Kind of tanked. It just came and went. Yeah. What brought that up? Oh, is that Lauren Gill? Yeah. You're live on the air with Brooklyn Paper Radio and a belchy Gersh Kunstman. Why don't you come into the studio and tell us a little about your Red Hook story? She's really excited to get on the radio. You know, now, Lauren fancies herself a, a music buff, and a uh, and might be interested in my theories on darkness on the edge of town. I will ask. I will ask her about that. We'll, maybe we'll bring that up. Let me bring it up because I keep banging my head on this thing. Okay, Lauren Gill in the, in the studio, everybody. You know, they call her Gilly. Lauren, you have been on Brooklyn Paper Radio so many times, and that's a testament to a couple you're, things. You're a featured guest. It's a testament to a couple of things. One, obviously your talent as a reporter because you are breaking the big ones. Would you like a jammer or possibly a, uh, a, a, a crisp? No, okay. crisp? Okay. You sure? Well, she likes to stay sober when she's working. But no, that's a good idea. The second reason you're on the show so often is you are a good sport. And that is the most important thing when you're doing a radio show affiliated with a print product. Now, last week you had a big one. And I am talking about Red Hook Residents. And I, we're talking about residents of public housing in Red Hook, because those are the people you were talking to, I believe, complaining that City Bike, which is newly expanded into Red Hook, Park Slope, etc., was crowding out their parking spaces. And frankly, they find it a little bit, if I can say it, a feat. Go, Lauren, go. Explain the story, and then we are going to rumble. Okay. So the city. Of New York. Yeah, so the city um, installed new um, city bike stations around Red Hook houses as part of the Community Board 6 rollout, um, which was happening over the last month or so. Um, There were meetings about the new stations, um, and the city went and met with one of the tenant association leaders from the Red Hook houses. So there are actual tenant association yes. leaders at the houses, and yes, they, they, they talk to them about this. Okay. Yes, oh, well, they elected. are represented by the people. Oh. Did they talk to them? Representative mm-hmm. of the people, sorry. Did they talk to them before they put the stations in or after? Um, they only spoke to one of them before. And she said that it didn't really seem like the city was listening to her anyway, and they had already made up their mind and were yeah. going to do it. And they didn't even um, talk to the other leader. Well, hmm. the, c- the city obviously wanted to expand City Bike. So how yes. many stations are we talking about in Red Hook? Um, I, I got I'm the not app sure right it's here. Red Hook total, but there are four around the Red Hook houses. Four stations? Around the houses. Yes. Okay. So what's the principal objection that people who live in the houses have with City Bike? Um, they say most of them have cars and they don't. They want parking spaces and they're not going to use these bikes anyway. Oh, the um, residents said, of the houses have cars and they don't want to use the bikes. And they said, you know, and the kids who have bikes, those who have bikes, they all own bikes. They're not going to be renting them from city bikes. They all, they okay, so all they, own bikes? They own the bikes. Mm-hmm. They don't want these city bikes. They want the parking spaces that the city bikes are taking up. Is that correct? Yes. This is a persistent issue. I've heard the, about this in Park Slope, which, as we know, is called No Park Slope. No very park little slope. parking. In there was no Park Slope. Yeah. Uh, residents of Brooklyn Heights, everybody's complained about this. And especially since Red Hook is a bit further out, there's a lot more transportation options in Park Slope. That's true. So I was when I read your story, I was thinking, well, wait a minute. Wouldn't people in Red Hook, whether they're in the houses or, or what they call the bottom or the top, wouldn't people in Red Hook want city bike because at the very least you could hop a city bike, maybe bike up to the F train at Smith Street or bike up to the F train at Carroll Street and then have access to the entire transit system. Oh, but that didn't true. seem to be the case from your story. No, and I actually, and one of the tenant association leaders said she's, they're tired of the city telling them what they, what they want. 
and mm. they're not little children. And, Do they know. have other examples of when the city told them what they want? Yes. Um, oh. Good question, Vince. Well, What's the answer? You know, the city has used the residents as sort of a hooking point for a lot of um, the projects, such as the ferry and the streetcar, which um, mm-hmm. they like to reiterate is uh, one of the NYCHA houses. Um, they want to connect the NYCHA houses through the streetcar. You know, that's one of their big... The BQX. Yeah. So you're saying residents of the Red Hook houses are already signaling to the city that they're suspicious of that BQX project, the trolley. You could say that. Well, I know. They haven't, suspe- they haven't you know specifically said that but you know they are tired of being told what to do but but and and that's that's fair a lot of neighborhoods complain about that but Mm -hmm. but in in, on the other side isn't the city's job to 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 bring in infrastructure in the case of the trolley obviously the de blasio administration is thinking well another transportation option for red hook can't be bad you're saying they just want to be consulted yeah they yeah they want to be consulted all right, let's get ba- let's get down to brass tacks, Lauren Gill. Okay. It seems to me that if you are a resident of the Red Hook Houses or indeed any any public housing project in New York City, you get a substantial discount on the annual fee to be a City Bike member. Am I right? Uh, yes. Yeah, I did not know that. Oh well, you're going to know more, Vince. Pay five dollars a month. Yeah, I read your story. Thank it you. cost me about fifteen dollars a month to be a Red Hook, uh, not <laughs> to be a City Bike member, and I pay it gladly. Because how much does it cost you? Fifteen bucks a month. Fifteen dollars a month. Yeah. Now, now, Lauren, That's uh, so I own my own bike. Yeah. I own my own bike, and my ex-wife owns my own house. Okay. So I've got resources. <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, <laughs> you're welcome. But fifteen dollars a month for me is a small price to pay because I use it a lot. Okay. And some, t- just so you know, Lauren, sometimes I use it just to go from my apartment in Park Slope, to, to a, a subway to maybe meet Stephen Brown, former Brooklyn paper reporter, for a beer in, in Crown Heights. It's become a very important part of the kind of global New York City transit system. $15 a month seems fair. Now, the Red Hook House yeah. residents and other public housing residents can get this same service for $5 a month, a savings of $10 a month. Okay. So for 60 bucks a year, you have access, unlimited access, to... Uh, a system that provides you access to the the greater system. Isn't that Are a small... A spokesman? Like a no, I'm just asking, isn't that a small price to pay is what I'm saying. I mean, if they already have their own bikes, why would they want to rent bikes? Well, there's a million... Just so you know, Lauren, I don't know if you use city bike. There's a million times when, say, you know you can't use a bike later because maybe you're, you're, maybe you're going to a show like I am later today. I'm going to Midtown for a show. And I wanted a bike over to see Vince and do the show. And then I'm going to take a subway into into the city. Uh, there's a million times when I, I, I bike into the office with my per- personal bike, but then maybe I want to spend the night at my girlfriend's place, and I don't want to bike up there. You see, this, it's, it, it just offers flexibility. Owning a bike, owning a car, these are fine. It just gives you an additional option. Gersh, when you do the city bike, do you pay the yearly fee or just pay the $14.95 a month? No, yearly fee. So that's even less than, than $15. S- slightly less, but the residents of the houses also get a discount on that annual so if fee. So you, if, if you live in the housing, how do you, like, how do you prove that? You have well, obviously you have, your, you, you have some sort of bill or, or something, your gas bill or something. And that's how they do it? Well, well I mean, I think you, you can do that at the kiosk? No, no, no. You cannot buy an annual yeah. membership at the kiosk. Okay. All right, so Lauren, the point or, is, or the I, so I, I am certainly on the side of people wanting to breathe free, i.e., have their voice heard. So explain to me what the real objection is f- f- from from your story. Okay, well, yeah, they don't want the city bikes loud and clear. They're not being used. I was down there; people weren't using them. Well, let's. What's let's, the point of having them? 
in the parking spaces that they would otherwise use and that they want. Let's yeah. fact check that for a second. I'm online. It's it's about 5.35 p.m. Okay. on the afternoon. Now, I'm looking at all of the uh, locations for City Bike in Red Hook, and mm-hmm. indeed, there are a substantial number of bikes available. So I've got okay. th- I've got three full full racks that are completely full. There you go. I've got a bunch of racks that are mostly full, and i got a couple of racks that are half full. So there are a lot of bikes in Red Hook. Just, and just for point of com- comparison, at the exact same time in Park Slope, I have almost every bike rack is either only half full or empty. Mm-hmm. Empty. How about here in downtown? In downtown Brooklyn. America's downtown. Yeah. America's downtown. I've got a, a mixture because some of these some of these bike racks are are in are in within public housing projects. Some are right here in downtown in America's downtown in Metro Tech Center. It's a mix. I'd say uh, the majority of these there are bikes available, but there's a swath in Brooklyn Heights and downtown that are empty. Yeah, but I think the point here is in a downtown neighborhood. Jimmy, you could put up that map. Yeah, put that up. The da- the downtown area, you sh- it would be normal for there to be bikes there because people will ride to work or something like that. Well, now it's 535, in. so people would be bringing a bike back, you would think. They might be bringing a bike or back. Or leaving, leaving downtown Brooklyn to commute out of downtown Brooklyn. I don't know why you'd want to leave with all the be- oh, bars so much, and restaurants so down here. so much to do. So much to do. Anyway, we got to get out. But, Lauren, okay. it seems to me you're saying that, they, that the residents of Red Hook Houses think that the city bike will not be a big part of their transportation options, so they think it's just overdone. Yeah, they don't want it. So how long is it going to take for City Bike to actually move these things out because they're they're not being used? Yeah. If they're not being used, like what's the timeline? Yeah, do they well, revisit the, the um, They always they I know they revisit it. But the question yeah. is when will they revisit it and when will they remove them? Yeah. Because I mean, that's my prediction. I mean, it's Brideshead revisited. I was at um, a transportation committee meeting for community board 2. Nice. Um which covers like downtown and people were complaining there and a rep from the transportation department said they're not currently relocating um, racks based on usage. They're oh, not. They're not relocating racks based on. That's interesting. Yeah, at the at this time. Hmm. But, you know, but she didn't say whether you know that would be revisited. I thought that was that part of the plan, though. I thought the part of the plan was that they would they would be reviewing this stuff and going over it and making sure that bikes were being used. And if they weren't used, they were just going to move them someplace. It doesn't make any sense from a business perspective mm-hmm. to have bikes mm-hmm. just sitting there. Yeah, Lauren, I'll be honest. When I first started covering City Bike, and I, you know, I'm a reporter with hash marks down to the ground, uh, they they specifically said, look, if it's not working in one place, we're going to move it. Because I, I, I'm looking at the City Bike map right now, and, for example, the Lower East Side of Manhattan, not a single bike available. Then I go to the Greenwich Village, and they're all full. So Interesting. They, they obviously, and they have moved bike racks on in the past, so we know they do monitor this. You're just saying maybe they don't monitor it quickly enough or fast enough or whatever. Yeah, they just have no plans to do it right now. Huh. I mean, uh, no plans my to correspondence plans. with the press office, they weren't particularly forthcoming about whether they would move the bikes or whether they Seems like they're shoving it down their throats, Gersh. I mean, it does. It seems like your article, Lauren, was, a, was I thought, a, a piece of sensational tabloid journalism because – Excuse me, I'm burping because I did have a six-point crisp. Because you did present the argument that neighborhood people feel like it's being shoved down their throat. And I immediately criticized you. And, in fact, I believe I put a comment on the bottom of your story saying, wait a minute. A, it might be too early to tell. And, B, I believe that City Bike represents a very good opportunity for residents of public housing. But maybe that's me being patriarchal. But at some point there is city planning. I mean, who's going to plan? So are you saying you're telling the Red Hook House's residents what they want? I, I might be. I might yeah. be as a city planner, a lay city planner, I might add, hmm. that somebody has to say, wait a minute, 
if this system is going to work, there has to be racks in a, in a diverse and widespread area or else it's not going to work. It's like the subway system. <clears throat> Maybe a neighborhood would say, well, we don't want you to build a new station in our neighborhood because that'll, that'll encourage gentrification. But at the yeah, same time... Yeah, it's also a sign of gentrification. These that's right. In these that's right. Yeah. But that's true of the subway. That's going to be true of BQX, my friend. That's why they're probably a little suspicious. But the question is, where do we debate these issues? At the community level or at the city level or even at the state level? I'm asking. Oh. <laughs> and your answer <laughs> And your answer is? Where would you like to debate this? How about we do it right here on Brooklyn Paper <laughs> yeah. Radio? Yeah. No, it's, a, it's an important debate because if... It is an important debate. You know, we had debate. Sam Schwartz on the show last night, and Sam is a legendary transportation consultant. Big fan of the city bike, by the way. Cities bring him in to say, hey, Sam, we've got a global problem here. What's the solution? And, and, and you can't just listen to one block that says, don't put it on my block. No, you can't. Because i got friends on, on 12th Street and Park Slope who are stunned. They woke up one morning, and there's a rack of 40 bikes in their neighborhood. And I'll go on City Bike app right now, and I'll tell you how many bikes are in that rack. I will tell you right now on that 12th Street block, if you're, hearing, if you're listening to me, George Shea, this is for you. There are, there, are, there are literally no bikes in that rack. Three bikes in that rack. So oh, you tell me George Shea doesn't want the bike rack there? He wants his parking because space? Because he believes it's a symbol of gentrification as well. Oh, come on. Well, it does take up parking spaces, and it does, and they didn't tell him it's coming. Next so time. like the people in Red Hook, the, the, the white rich people in Park Slope are saying, wait a minute, we didn't know about this. Right. Well, well, you elect people. I guess what it comes down to is, is the city bike a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, answer that one, Lauren Gill. Do you have the guts? Is it good or bad? Lauren Gill, tell it us what you think. Depends where you are. No, 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 no. What no. your needs are. That's not a fair answer. You no, look at the I think it is. It's I, a very complex. No, question. I totally disagree. From, uh, you know, as a whole. Yeah, as a whole. Is the city bike good or bad as a whole? I think having alternative transportation options are good. That's good. There you go. Yeah. That's okay. a good. Alternative That's transportation good. options are good. But is the city bike in Red Hook good or bad? For the people who live in Red Hook right now, it's bad. They believe it's bad. They say it's but bad. But for them, and, it's bad. And for They're George not going to use these bikes. They want, you know, they want to park. There's only one parking lot. It's a very big public housing development. You know, they don't want to park in this parking lot and have to take all of their sure. groceries, you know, across the whole development. Fair enough. Fair to get enough. To it. I will give you a little ultimate yuppie, Gersh Kunstman gentrifier, white guy, rich barbecue fan story. I went to the hometown barbecue in Red Hook. With Stephen Brown, former Brooklyn paper reporter. He's, he's great. And right outside Hometown Barbecue is a city bike rack. Yeah, we saw and, that. And we were wasted. I mean, Lauren, we were wasted off our ass. And I said to Stephen, let's just get a city bike go to the F train. We biked to the F train. Five minutes to the F train. I got home in 20 minutes. Now, you cannot which, tell which, me. Which station did you bike Sounds to? Dangerous. I biked to Smith 9th Street. Well, Smith 9th. Okay. I wasn't really that wasted. But the point is, you cannot tell me 20 minutes from Red Hook to Windsor Terrace is a bad transportation system. So again, it worked for you, Gersh, yeah. the white rich guy who went to Red Hook. I prefaced it by saying that is a white rich barbecue loving, gentrifying eating story. Mm-hmm. All right, we got to get out. Lauren Gill, you are a great reporter with a lot of credibility. Thank you. Don't waste it by coming on shows like this. Thanks. Out she okay, goes. Bye. <laughs> All right, we got to get Caroline Spivak in. The, can I get a little morning paper? No, music? we got to do another commercial. No, we'll do it after the Spivak. Oh, come on. Nope. And we got to talk about that Met game. I know, we'll get there. That Met game last I night. Read the morning paper. I mean, did you see it? We Fantastic. Gotta, we got to talk about it. Caroline Spivak. Oh, yeah, she's, she'll be right in. Okay, please send her in. 
That must have that must have been her. Uh, <laughs> that was her secretary. Yeah, her receptionist. <laughs> I like when that happens. No, Caroline's receptionist is awesome. <clears throat> so Caroline wrote a story. Well, we'll tell, tell yeah. Why don't you why don't you say this? Caroline, how are you? Oh, she's here. Caroline Spivak is a return visitor to Brooklyn Paper Radio, and the reason, as I said to Lauren Guild, Caroline, the reason you're here, you got spunk, you got moxie, and you're a reporter with great credibility. Would you like a six point jammer? What is that? It's a beer. If you got to ask, you'll never know, baby. All right, listen. You are working on a big story right now. We are in the midst of one of the most heated elections since the the, the crazy election of 1876 when it went oh. to the House and, and those crazy people got elected. Yeah. And you're working on a story that's vaguely connected to Donald Trump dumping crap in the Coney Island Creek. <laughs> vaguely connected. Go, go Caroline, go. Tell me the story. Okay. So 16 buildings in the apartment complex that Donald Trump's father, Fred Trump, built were dumping 200,000 gallons of raw sewage into Coney Island Creek for we're not actually sure exactly how long. Wait, wait, slow it down, slow it down. Fred Trump built the buildings. We're talking about in like the early 60s, late 50s? Mm Mm-hmm. And 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 the toilets literally flush right into Coney Island Creek. (laughs) Is that the idea or just on a big rainy day? Well, so what happened is there's pipes that were rerouted that were originally supposed to go to waste treatment facilities, but instead they were either clogged or broken, and they were rerouted to pipes that went directly into the storm drains. Wait a minute. Hold on. Intentionally clogged? It can either be accidentally or intentionally. No, no, no. no. Wait a second. Gersh said intentionally clogged. I'm not going there. I'm going how were they rerouted? Were they intentionally rerouted to storm drains? Someone has to remove a cap that uh-huh. reroutes it. And was that cap removed? So the original design of the building allowed for both dumping into the into the uh, into the sewers mm-hmm. and dumping into the the actual wastewater sewers that are, are going to go to the treatment plant. So it could go either way. So there's like a shutoff switch or whatever. Okay, it's an A B switch. Right. So they if anybody it. stole cable when you were a kid? It's an A B switch. Now, to me, as a you know, reasonable person. It doesn't seem like they would make this switch unless there was a problem. Correct? You mean that they, sometimes they would need to send it over into the creek? Yeah, like why would they send it to the creek if they could send it to the sewage treatment plant? Caroline? Well, I believe that there was someone who didn't quite know you know, what was happening in terms of the fact that this would create raw sewage dumping directly. No, come on. There's a switch there. Yeah. And the switch says, Creek. crap, <laughs> sewage. <laughs> I mean, it's very clear, right? Creek. So what Creek. happened? What happened? I mean, I have not seen these pipes firsthand, but apparently- We got to get in there. I have not been, been down there, no. All right. In but terms of the actual place, in terms of the apartment building pipes, I've been down to Coney Island Creek. And of course seen you the have. Pipe, but oh, you've seen the pipe where it comes out? I've seen the pipe where it... Did you actually see anything come out? Uh, there's something coming out a little bit, but hmm. most There's always a little drip. Wait, but the pipe you saw probably was the storm drain drip. That was the, st- yeah. that was the storm drain. So if it rains, it floods into the creek, which gotcha. is fine. Yeah, that's fine. But, but here's the thing. As any resident of Gowanus knows... On a, on a big rainy day, the Gowanus Canal fills with literally a river sticks of feces. Yes. So is that what's happening in Coney Island Creek? Or did somebody intentionally do Because in Gowanus, it's by design. So we haven't been able to determine if it's intentional or not. But either a pipe was broken mm-hmm. or... Because this is we're talking about sixteen different apartment buildings. Sure. So you know different pi- different pipes that connect to all these buildings, uh, lots of different pipes. So 
caps could be either removed that switch into different pipes that go directly into Coney Island Creek, or pipes were broken that were then flooding right, into the but, creek. But, but, but how long was this going on? We don't know yet. Well, hold on. Look, go to the headline. The headline of your story is apartments dumped 200,000 gallons of sewage per day into Coney Island Creek. This so that suggests we know what happened. Yeah, so p this could potentially be go have been going on for months to even years. No, come on. If it happened for an afternoon, somebody would know about it, right? Well, you you would think. That's what a lot of people are asking about. Why why wasn't the public told about this? Hmm. The most interesting thing about it is apparently Coney Island Creek is used by some people for baptisms. Uh, that's a baptism of fire, <laughs> if, you're, if you're asking me. All right, so we got to get out. Caroline, how bad is this going to be for Donald Trump's campaign? I mean, clearly he had a hand in this. <laughs> <laughs> well, his father built the buildings, but it's no longer managed by by Trump. Sure, sure. As far as we can tell. We know that Donald Trump succeeded his father in the family business in, in, as early as the 70s when this was happening. I don't understand why the system was set up this way to begin with. It seems well, I don't like know if Caroline has that answer, Caroline. It seems like... I, I there, do not have that answer. No, there's, I know, but it just seems weird that... No. That the sewage system within a... Within a it's not know, weird at all. It's not weird at all because if you're in the Gowanus Canal and there's a huge rainstorm... No, no, and I And I say huge, like Donald Trump would say, huge. there needs to be a place for all that water to go. And unfortunately, the sewage treatment plant gets overflowed. No, but this isn't about the sewage treatment plant, Gersh. This is about... Um, help me out here. And this have is a about jammer. Something in the building, like in the building, on the premises, a switch. Yeah, it's probably a, a switch. That turns it from actually, all right, this way it's going to go to the sewage treatment plant. When it rains. This but why would the rain affect the the building? The, the rain's the, not going to affect the building. Once the sewage starts backing up, it's got to go somewhere, and that's when it probably triggers the switch, Caroline. But well, you would, no, I don't, is it a, it's, it's a manual switch, Caroline? Yeah, from what I can tell, Ooh. it's manual. You have oh. to remove it. So then they call down, hey, our plant is, uh, Jimmy, our plant's backed up. Can you flip the switch? Oh, it's going to dump a lot of sewage treatment, sewage in the canal. I don't care, we're backed up. I mean, that's the kind of conversations that people have. No, the, 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 I think that's... Was that a, I was doing both parts of the conversation, Caroline. Jimmy, was that, that a recording? <laughs> well, it's Get that sewage out of here. I don't want to dump it into the creek. you got to dump it in the creek. We're back up back here. Right? Yeah, I mean, well, it's possible that some of the pipes are broken and some of them were, you know, people just removed the caps because they didn't want the sewage to back up into the actual buildings. That could be true also. I mean, the bottom line is you don't want... I mean, I'm going to say it. You don't want shit coming back out of the toilet. And if you're paying rent, that is the bottom line. You'd rather put it in the canal or the creek well, than I in think, your own bathroom. I think there's a lot more to this story, and I think we need to find out how and why these large apartment complexes, how they're sending water out, sewage, wastewater out, Definitely. and mm -hmm. if there, if all of these buildings all of them do are. in fact have, if this is a normal way of doing business, where, all right, well, this is going to go into the sewer. This is going to go into the storm sewer. This the storm sewer and the sewer, while the same, are different. This is as, I got to say, Caroline, you have put your finger on one of the biggest black marks of the Trump campaign. And I hope, and I know Vince is a tabloid veteran from years ago, he is going to play this story up so that when election time comes around, it's vote Trump or vote shit. That's what I think it's going to be. Am I right? Vote Trump or vote shit. Yeah. No, Vinny? Nothing? No, I don't see All right. Camera. We got to get out. Caroline, thanks for uh, joining us. We got to pay some bills. We got a little uh, oh, bill paying music. Why Thank you, you Caroline. You've done you it again. Why don't you start? Caroline, great job. Well, now I'm starting? Yeah. A little music? Oh, there it is.
See what's possible when healthcare gets personal. Village Care Max, a Medicaid-managed long-term plan, helps you continue to stay at home and in your community for as long as possible. Village Care Max consists of a team of healthcare professionals that will work with your doctor, helping you to set up health appointments, organizing your medical care, and monitor your medications. As a member, your care manager will visit your home to guide you and your family toward the best healthcare options available. Working together, your healthcare team will help you obtain the care that you need so you can live the life you want. And best of all, the plan is at no extra cost to you. Get more information about Village Care Max by calling 1-800-469-6292. That's 800-469-6292. Or visit them at villagemaxcare.org. Village Max Care. For the life you want to live. That's very nice, Vince. But let's talk turkey, because that's when you're old. I'm young. I got teeth. When I want to see a quality dentist who's truly affordable, what do I do? I'd call Dr. Joseph Lichter. The reason, I don't even need these things. I don't need a Invisalign, which is that invisible alternative to metal braces. Usually costs $5,000. I don't even need it, but at Lichter, you're going to get it for $4,000. I don't need porcelain veneers because my teeth, my choppers are so beautiful. But you can pay $1,000 for that. Not at Lichter, $675. What about that uh, Zoom teeth whitening? Now, oh, I yeah. get that. I yeah. get that. No, that's good important. Usually, it's like $1,000, $395 at Lichter. Joseph Lichter is a legend of the dental arts. So call him today, 718-339-7878. You set up an appointment, or you just go online, Joseph Lichter. That's L-I-C-H-T-E-R-D-D-S. You know, Atlas Steakhouse isn't just about the steaks. No, you can't be a steakhouse today and only be about steaks. No, you can't. You can't just have all those delicious filet mignons, those tomahawks, those no, uh, no, no, strip, New York rib eyes, New, New, York New York strip, the it's T-bone succulent. prime. It's not, it's not just about that it's anymore. It's not? No, it's not. Because at Atlas Steakhouse, there's plenty of options. From the sea. Really? Yeah. You can have the tuna steak. Oh, I like a tuna steak. No, everyone loves a tuna steak. You can have the branzino. Oh, branzino is a nice fish. You can have the salmon steak. But I bet all of these are market price because you don't know what's fresh that day, but they do. No, they know what's fresh and that's what you're going to get. And you're going to get them at prices that you're not going to believe. How much would you pay for the red snapper? Oh, like $50. How about 23 bucks? That's a very good price for a red snapper. Listen to this. Whitefish. It's there. Yes, it is. It's not just at movie theaters anymore. Whitefish? Whitefish. Wait, whitefish? Yeah, 25 bucks. Grilled whitefish. Choice aside. You don't see grilled whitefish on the menu very often. No, you don't. And there it is. I always eat a Coney Island whitefish, but that's just another thing. <laughs> you should not eat that. You should, not. you should avoid that. And of course, if you're vegetarian, yeah, try the shiitake pochini <laughs> pasta. Look, let's just, let's call bullshit. Don't go if you're a vegetarian. It's Atlas Steakhouse. It's the best steakhouse in Dittmans Park. Why would you go if you're a vegetarian? Atlas- you can go, but why would you go? <laughs> it's Atlas Steakhouse. It's Mediterranean-style steakhouse. It's at 943 Coney Island Avenue in beautiful Ditmas Park. You can visit them, as always, all the time, 24-7, online, at lissteak.com. If you're a vegetarian, don't. Don't no, do it. Don't, don't, don't embarrass yourself. All right, I got one more thing I want to do. Can I get that Morning Papers music one more time? One more time? we got to bring in one more top-quality reporter. Oh goodness. Uh, <sighs> I'll wait. I'll wait. No. And that's our <laughs> show, folks! <laughs> All right, we are going to bring in one more great reporter. Let's see I read the morning <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. 
All right, I don't know if you can hear the sound of my voice, but Max Yanker, come on in. We got a big story we want to talk to you about with you. I think he's coming in. I hope so. Well, we got to fix that. Yeah. I love you. Anyway, Max Yeager is, what is he, a deputy editor over here? He's a deputy editor in charge probably of Probably the best. Gentleman. Max Yeager, who has been on the show many times. I was just about to say, Max, you are probably the best pure copy editor. In other words, word for word, you know, line editor since Gersh Kuntzman. Wow, that is saying a lot. That's, uh, that's high praise. Is this Mike on? Yeah. Okay, great. High praise, my friend. High so praise. we got to bring it down a notch. We've had a, by the way, have a jammer. Please have a six-point jammer, and you'll tell us your opinion. Yes, sir. It's a Goza-style beer with with sea salt and coriander. Goza. I thought the Ghostbusters got rid of him. Okay. We talked about that earlier today. Anyway, uh, Max Yeager is working. First, what do you think of the jammer? Lemony. Ah, that's very interesting. Would you describe it as a savory lemonade? Sure. Yeah, Yeah. it's a savory lemonade. It's not a sweet lemonade. I don't get that at all. Because well, like you I'm don't know what savory means. Maybe I'm getting the coriander. All I right. don't know. <laughs> anyway, Max, thank you for the, your credibility on the jammer. But we have a big story that's breaking, and it's sad. It's sad. It is. Brooklyn District Attorney Ken Thompson, who won a very hard, hard-fought race over Charles Hines, the veteran, mm-hmm. real, real upstart, real trying to shake it up a little. Although he's had his scandals, announced what a couple of days ago that he has cancer today. Well, I think it was a couple of days ago. He announced ago. that he had cancer. Yeah, it was a couple of days ago. And what on, I find interesting Thursday, about Max. this... It happened, on, oh, it happened right. on Tuesday. I forgot, I forgot we're live. Yeah. He's, so he's announced he's going to step down? <laughs> well, uh, he's, he's got someone who's going to take over for him when, he's, when he uh, can't do his job because he's uh, in the hospital or recovering. So step down maybe is, is a little too far. Oh, he's going to stay in office, but occasionally when he's under or getting treatment, he's going to... Pass the reins, the baton, if you will, Correct. of law enforcement in this borough to who's the guy? Chief Assistant Eric Gonzalez. I don't know this guy. He never got elected. Who is he? Uh, well, we got a little bio from uh, from Thompson's office. He, he was born in Brooklyn. He's worked for the DA's. Uh, or he's been a prosecutor for 21 years. 21 years. Um, he was last kind of responsible for, he was the trial bureau chief hmm. uh, for a certain section of Brooklyn covering Flatbush, Midwoods, oh. Sheepshead Bay, Coney Island, and also Sunset Park. So, so it's safe to say he has put the bad guys away. Uh, it would appear so. Well, that's mm. pretty much job one if you're a DA. Am I right? Right. Yeah. Okay. But job. Thompson, now let's since since look, he's got cancer, and I don't want to say what everybody's thinking, but he's got cancer. Let's do the valedictory. How's he been as a DA? You've been following him. How has Ken Thompson been as a DA? He's he's overturned a lot of convictions that you know were found to be false convictions. Okay. Uh, which I think is great. Um, he has been helpful in terms of transparency. I know I've spoken to them personally about uh, the issue of, of police surveillance video not being sure. released to the press. And sure. He was, he was very helpful with the story that we wrote about that. Uh, but about what about ago. the elephant in the room? Ooh. What's that? What? I'm asking you. The elephant in the room with Ken Thompson is the expense account. Right, right, right. He Explain was, uh, that one. So, so he was having people that worked for him go get him pick up dinners and lunches and stuff. And I guess he was paying them back out of his pocket. But it was at first the money was coming from uh, the, the district attorney's coffers. Hmm. Uh, right now, now you like and I both they know a, they got like a what do they call it a, uh, a petty cash. Petty cash. Right. Yeah. It seems to me that if you are a district attorney and you are working from sun up to like ten at night, mm-hmm. there must be some provision to get a meal out of out of the people, right? Or is there not? Well, I mean, apparently there's not. Do, you, do are you asking me if I think he deserves one? Yeah, a meal now and again. I'd kick him a couple bucks. Yeah, I mean, I think there should be stipend for a guy who works twenty four hours a day. I mean, he, he literally could get a phone call at any time. That's true. Well, the well pu- I don't care what they do, what they get. 
But they better eat it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, you <laughs> know, have crust, it, crust included. It, no, everything's got to go. I don't want to come into that office and find any leftover food. Yeah, because no you order what you like. Man. You order what you like, but you eat what you order, <laughs> especially but when it's on the public's time. I got to say, I think that's that my that, two cents. That scandal, that scandal could have been a really big scandal. The the fact that he he was putting meals on on the public expense account. Mm-hmm. We would have been honored if I found leftovers because they're right across the street. <laughs> yeah, no. You guys wrote about that. Anyway, so on the balance, you're saying in terms of transparency and overturning illegal convictions, that's pretty good. Right. So what about the cancer? Uh, what about the cancer? Well, well, what kind is it? Is it metastasizing? Here, here is the problem. Here is the here is the here's the where he has failed us, uh, the public. I think is he's not telling anyone anything about this. He, he as far as say. transparency is concerned. Correct. As far as transparency is concerned, he he won't say what kind of cancer it is when he was diagnosed, um, what stage it's at. Uh, he's citing privacy concerns no, and saying no. it's you know private information. I think he's the, an elected official. I think the public has a right to know. I agree. So what are you doing about it? We are hammering the DA's office with incessant questions. All right, um, picking up a phone. Why don't we find out who his doctor is? It's obviously someone here in Brooklyn. Or Manhattan. I suppose. I mean, Manhattan Oh, that's a, a scandal cancer. if the Brooklyn DA goes to Manhattan for cancer <laughs> treatment. <laughs> I, what? I, dis- I disagree. Okay, I'm not fine. sure that's a scandal, yeah. All right, well, fine. But there's a doctor who's treating this guy. There is. Just as there was a doctor treating Hillary Clinton for her no. pneumonia, there's a doctor. This is all true. Let's get a note. Mm-hmm. Let's get on that. Anyway, I think I, I, I wish him the best because he's been yeah. on the show. Mm-hmm. He's a friend of the show. And we're friends of uh, Brooklyn District Attorney uh, Robert Thompson. Robert, did I get it right? Ken, Ken Robert Thompson. Ken, Ken Thompson. Yeah, Robert Thompson's a different guy. Ken Thompson. And I wish him the best because cancer is not easy. It, Max, you ever have cancer? Luckily, no. No, I, I didn't either, no. but I'm told it's a very bad disease. That's mm-hmm. what I've heard. Yeah. Anyway, we got to get out. Max, Max Yeager, thanks. What do you think of the Goza now that you've had a couple of sips? It's not bad. I like it. It's uh, definitely more of a summer beer than a fall beer, but uh, I'll take it. You will. In fact, take one on your way out. All right, we got to get out. I want to thank our sponsors, Joseph Lichter DDS, Atlas Steakhouse, and our new sponsor, Village Care Max. Village Care Max. Not, not Max, Max Yeager. <laughs> Village Care Max. And I got to tell you, next week we got a great show lined up. We already have them booked. Katie McKenna, author of How to Get Run Over by a Truck. It's a she, memoir. She's been run over. She has been run over by a truck. And she'll be joined by Adam Goldstein of the Brooklyn Wine Company, one of our original sponsors. We gotta get out, Vince. You're a handsome man. Thank you, I'm Gersh. a sexy man. I'm Gersh Kunzman of the New York Daily News for uh, Brooklyn Paper Radio. Oh, uh, the Mets. We forgot about the Mets. Uh, we'll get to it next week. <laughs>